your mind about you, where we are on a journey together to awaken to our true identity. I'm your host, Kevin Mack, and today we're going to continue with our series of episodes on applying forgiveness. Today's topic will once again focus on yet another characteristic of the Holy Spirit's fire. We have learned that when we receive the teaching of the Holy Spirit, we are baptized with fire. In the previous episode, we stated how one of the functions of fire is to give off light. And this light represents our minds being enlightened by the thoughts of God. In this episode, we intend to discuss a second property of fire. Fire also gives off heat and provides warmth to those that are near it. What does such heat and warmth represent? Let's first take a look at heat. Uh, We're going to turn now to uh, Luke chapter 12 and verses 49 and 50. Uh, Christ is speaking here to his disciples and reaches a juncture in his teaching where he suddenly becomes more intense. Luke chapter 12 and verse 49. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Verse 50. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. In verse 49, Christ is speaking here of bringing fire to the earth. But in what context is he speaking? Uh, Verse 50 tells us that he's undergoing a baptism, an immersion, and he's under constraint to complete it. Both verses 49 and 50 have exclamation marks after them. So it's clear that he's fervent and he's intense in his communication. The Greek word translated constraint here is Suneco, S-Y-N-E-C-H-O, which figuratively means to compel or preoccupy. So, in other words, fire in this case represents the heat of desire. He's immersed and preoccupied with his mission, thus he has a burning desire to accomplish it, a zeal. We see another example of such zeal in John chapter 2. Here, Christ enters the temple courts where he sees a lot of buying and selling going on. That fire of zeal within him prompted him to then make a whip of cords, driving everyone out of the marketplace, scattering the animals and the coinage as he turned over the tables of the money changers. Then he said to those who had dove, who were selling doves rather, in John 2 verses 16 and 17, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples, verse 17, remembered that it is written, Zeal, for your house will consume me. They're, of course, quoting one of the Psalms. The Greek word translated zeal here in verse 17 is derived from the verb Zeo, Z-E-O, which means to be hot and implies an attitude of ferventness. 
It's used along with the Greek word translated consume, which is katastheo, K-A-T-E-S-T-H-I-O, which means to devour. So another way of saying this is Christ here is so fervent about the conditions within his father's house, this fire within him has burned away every other thought. He's consumed or preoccupied by his zeal. It is his exclusive focus here. There's another less extreme example of a zeal, but it comes across in a different way. In John chapter 4, Christ here meets a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well and engages her in a conversation. He shows himself to the woman first as a prophet and ultimately as his true identity as the Christ. As the disciples were just returning to the well from town, where they went to find something to eat, they were surprised to see Christ speaking to this woman. Shortly after the disciples returned, the woman dropped her water jug and ran back down to the town to tell the townspeople about Christ. As she was doing this, the disciples said to Christ, Rabbi, eat something. Uh, We're reading from John chapter 4 and verses 31 and 32. Now verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Now recall from the previous episode in Isaiah 55 where it says, Come buy and eat without money and without cost. The food spoken of there, as you may remember, are the thoughts of God. Thus Christ, who is one with God, just finished sharing that kind of food with the Samaritan woman. But the disciples were not thinking in those terms. So here we go. Let's continue with the story in verses 33 and 34. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? So Christ turns to them, seeing that they're not getting the picture. He says, My food, in verse 34, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So God's thoughts are the food that Christ is speaking of here. It is the food he relied on to live. This is consistent with what he said in response to the tempter in the desert at the very start of his ministry, right after his baptism. Knowing Christ was physically hungry at the time after fasting for many days, the tempter commanded him to turn some stones into bread. And here's how Christ responded. In Matthew 4 and verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the food Christ was speaking of in John 4.34 referred to the thoughts of God. With this thought in mind, he continues to instruct his disciples. Let's continue reading now in John 4, verses 35 and 36 now. He says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. Here's that burning desire again. 
that sense of zeal and excitement for his father's work. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Now what fields was he admonishing them to look at? Let's continue reading now in verses 40, actually 39 through 42. Many of the Samaritans from town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. The woman had gone back and she had spoken to them and she had said to them, He told me everything I ever did. So the Samaritans, wanting to see for themselves, they go out and see him. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And in verse 42, they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So the field, quote-unquote, that Christ is referring to is the crowd of people coming out to him from the town as the result of hearing the Samaritan woman's testimony. Thus, the Samaritan woman became an extension of Christ himself. His Fire, his zeal, had spread to her. Christ's zeal is contagious. As a result, the crowd believed what the woman told them. They became curious about the source of her zeal and wanted to see it for themselves. So once they heard from themselves the intense desire directed toward them by this blazing pillar of fire... Christ, they were convinced of his teaching beyond a shadow of a doubt. Yet, there's more. What was it about Christ's teaching that so attracted them? Was it just his burning desire? How was it that they knew that this man really is the Savior of the world? No doubt it was partially due to what he knew about each of them and the contagious zeal with which he expressed his teaching. But there's also something else, and the prophet Isaiah put his finger on it. In Isaiah 61, let's read verses 1 and 2. It says there, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim Good news to the poor. Now we need to know something about the Samaritans at the time. The Samaritans were outcast and considered pagans and heretics in the perception of their Jewish neighbors. But they weren't considered that by this Jew. He was clearly different. Let's continue in verse 1. Of Isaiah 61. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. All of these 
Bind up the brokenhearted, freedom for captives, release from darkness for prisoners. All of these are symbols of peace and enlightenment. Verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn. Our world is characterized by suffering intentions among various peoples and nations. At the time Jesus was on earth, the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was so hostile that Jews would not even set foot in Samaria. So the fact that Jesus, a Jew, would even enter Samaria was a radical idea for the time. But he had a mission, to comfort all who mourn, to comfort all who suffer. So the Holy Spirit leads Christ to use his fire, not only as a source of zeal, but also as a source of comfort for all. Now let's turn to John chapter 14. In verse 26, here the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Advocate. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. He's saying this to his disciples at the time. Now the Greek word translated Advocate there in verse 26 is parakletos. P-A-R-A-K-L-E-T-O-S, which is a root word that means intercessor or consoler or comforter or advocate. Thus, the Holy Spirit uses the warmth of his fire to comfort us in our difficulties as we journey through this comparatively cold and dark world of violence and confusion. Notice how the Apostle Paul speaks of God extending his comfort to us and also why he comforts us. There's a reason behind the comfort he gives us from the fire of the Holy Spirit. Let's see what that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verses 3 and 4. Paul wrote there, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and, here we are, the God of all comfort. Verse 4, Who comforts us, in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So God, through the Holy Spirit, provides us with warmth and comfort for our benefit, but not only for ourselves. We are also to be channels of his comfort so that his comfort may be extended to others. Thus does his comfort expand and grow throughout the world. 
which so desperately needs his comfort. So life in this world is a blending of sufferings along with that comfort. For as Paul wrote in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Now, regarding this issue of sharing and suffering, there are at least two types of suffering in our world. One is our physical existence is one form of suffering. From the time we're born, we engage in a slow, steady march toward death. As at least one commentator put it, we are born, we suffer, and we die. The motive behind this world is to crucify human beings created in the image and likeness of God. It is from this suffering that we're sent to set the world free by extending the Holy Spirit's comfort. But there's another form of suffering that awaits us in the world. The rejection we face when we attempt to extend the Holy Spirit's comfort to others and they refuse to receive it and sometimes even attack us for it. Those are the sufferings of Christ. Paul speaks of these in verse 5. Yet, through it all, we're able to rest content in the warmth of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit provides us through his fire that dwells within each and every one of us. Well, my friends, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Change Your Mind About You. Thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Kevin Mack, reminding you that the Holy Spirit's fire also represents both heat and warmth. The heat symbolizes the passionate burning desire the Holy Spirit has given to each of us to live as Christ lived. And the warmth which provides us with the comfort in our own afflictions as we do so. And once we learn to accept his comfort, we are then able to extend his comfort to those in need around us. And as more of us receive and extend that comfort to others, the closer we will come to experiencing life on earth as it is in heaven. So, until next time, take good care and be well, my friends.